Friday and you're listening to TGIF, the podcast that brings you all the in-depth conversations about your favourite or not-so-favourite horror movies. I'm your host, Kat, and this week I'm joined by Nathaniel from the Scream Kings podcast. Hello and welcome to TGIF. How are you? I'm doing great. Just, just you know, That's excited to be hear. here. Excited to be here. Excited to, to talk about horror, like always. Yeah, absolutely. It's, well, um, I'm a fan of your podcast because you guys do an amazing job of talking about horror and then also incorporating literature when it is applicable and so that's i'm sold plus plus yeah we, we like to try to bring in like uh folklore or like personal experiences or whatever we possibly could squeeze in there so <laughs> it's a little bit terrifying if you ask me <laughs> yeah i mean stuff happens life goes on we might be haunted by pazuzu on our podcast no big oh <laughs> Thanks. At least that's who we attribute all of our uh, all our uh, tech issues to. So oh, to Pazuzu, yeah, fair. Pazuzu. <laughs> um, this week we're talking about the 2013 release of Oculus, who is directed by the one and only Mike Flanagan, who I am a massive fan of. Same. Um, yeah. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown? about oculus like just a brief summary just just a little little bite-sized thing um yeah so oculus is a movie about a evil mirror that it's it's an evil mirror that uh basically it's the story of a, a brother and a sister who are trying to prove that this mirror has supernatural abilities uh, in order to kind of exonerate uh, what happened to their parents, because earlier in their lives, that mirror destroyed their family. So, yeah, they're trying to kind of prove that this mirror did this. And so we, so it's a it's a movie where we have two storylines. We get to see them as kids and see it destroy their family, and then we get to see them try to very systematically kind of prove how this mirror works and that it's actually doing something. So that's uh, what the movie is. And I guess a very, very small nutshell. Yeah. I really love how they do the two storylines because we see the switch between past and present. And I don't think anyone has done it so well in a really long time as what Mike Flanagan has in even just lining up the experiences so they are similar to what the present day siblings are going through and what they're experiencing or what they're discussing. I, I definitely agree. I, I feel like when we're looking at kind of how the storylines back or jump back and forth, it's really cool to see how um, they give us a question on one end and then it doesn't necessarily immediately answer it in the other, but it, it, it always leaves you with a question about that next storyline. And so you keep getting pulled back and forth in terms of your interest and you never, you know, kind of go like, Oh, the kids again, or, Oh, the adults again. Like you want to know what's happening in both sides, which works really well. And a lot of uh, other uh, films that, that try to play with multiple storylines, I don't feel like necessarily, yeah, do it nearly as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Look, just the fact that you chose a Mike Flanagan film before Mike Flanagan was the Mike Flanagan. So, in a way, anyway, because he did Ouija just after this, didn't he? I I think so. Um, but I mean, yeah. To me, this was the this was the movie that that really turned me on to his work. 
Like I, he had done one movie before this. He had done, you know, some shorts and stuff. I, I actually still haven't even seen his very first movie. Um, but I've seen everything else that he's done. I, I, if, if Mike Flanagan is attached to a movie, I, I will go see it. Um, whether for good or for bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like I, I feel like this is, is a really great example of kind of how when he is given the creativity and the budget and all that to kind of really flesh out an idea, he, he really does tend to deliver in a big way. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's any coincidence that he has then, you know, since been tapped to do a bunch of, you know, King adaptations and, you know, made uh, Dr. Sleep and made Gerald's Game and made The Haunting of Hill House and Blind Manor and everything else. Like, yeah, he's he's big in the horror world because he has the chops and he started out really strong with Oculus, in my opinion. Yeah, agree. I definitely agree on that. Um, let's go to the opening scene, which I think really sets such a foreboding and sense of fear throughout this whole film it really sets you up to be like okay this movie's gonna be it's gonna be something traumatic it's going to be um about these kids obviously so um the film starts off with two children running through their house trying to escape and um we see a man carrying a gun towards them um and uh the sorry I'm, I'm sweating everyone just so you know it's really hot here <laughs> uh the camera turns and we see a young man holding the gun um he looks quite scared and then the gun fires but this same young man wakes up from a nightmare and we find out that it's one of the characters tim who's been in a psychiatric hospital since he was quite young since that gun went off since that gun went off yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I I really like that intro because it, yeah, it, it's a great hook, and also yeah, it, it shows us something that we're like, okay, we have no context for this, and I like that when it plays out later, it isn't necessarily what you expect, and in fact, like that is the the moment that is kind of the image that, uh, yeah. you know, they are trying to fight against when they are, you know, trying to prove that the mirror is evil when Tim comes around to it and, and his sister is, you know, fully on board with Kaylee. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I love that. Um, you know, very quickly we, we see her going and getting this mirror and, uh, you know, and, he, and he's getting picked up from the hospital and all of that. And, you know, it's like this family reunion. And then she's like, I got it. What, what By are you the talking way, about? We've got to destroy this mirror. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I found it. I got it. We're going to do it. And he's like, pardon? I'm out of a psychiatric hospital. I just have come to grips with all of this stuff. And what are you talking about? Pardons? Just slow down a little bit. And he's like, no, I got the mirror. We can do it. We can we can do what we promised to do, that we're going to prove that it, it, it was the mirror. And he's just like, I just got out of a hospital for this. What are you talking about? Why are we... <laughs> And, and to me, like, as an audience member, I'm just, like, instantly going, like, oh, oh, this is, this is an interesting story. I'm, I am on board with whatever this is because you definitely have my attention. I don't know what this weird thing is that she's talking about yet. I don't have the context. And I like that the dialogue, by the way, is written in a way that they know what they're talking about, but we don't. Like, that's very natural. Like, they, they have yeah. sort of a, a, a language of siblings talking to each other that 
you know, we don't have to have everything made and butlered for us. So, you know, it's nice that it's not the any any yeah. lines of, well, as you know, that mirror that destroyed our family's lives, you know, we, we get to pick that up as the uh, story progresses. <laughs> yeah. And what I love is that um, this mirror is actually an Easter egg in a lot of Mike Flanagan's films. So it's been in the basement in the Ouija. It's been in the headboard of Gerald's game and the walls of haunting of Hill House and in the Overlook Hotel in Doctor Sleep, which I thought was really freaking cool. So he just like kept this mirror and just like lugged it around to all his movies with him, which is awesome. Yeah, it's it's his. Uh, oh, God, what is the car in Evil Dead? But, you know, like how that appears in every freaking uh, movie that Sam Raimi makes. Why am I forgetting the name of this? Superstar? Yeah. Anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, he... I have no idea what it's called. I know nothing about cars. <laughs> the Delta. There we go. I don't know anything about cars either, but I, oh. <laughs> I've heard you know Bruce Campbell deliver lines about his beloved Delta so many times, and I've seen Spider Man cat or you know catch it off of a bridge. So you know you got to have something like that. So one of those signature touches um, that everyone automatically connects to that director or that actor. What I really love is that Kaylee basically forces this situation on her brother, like you said, who has just gotten out of a psychiatric hospital, but she's like, well, you're here now, so you have to do it. And she just shows very little compassion for her brother in this circumstance. And it feels like a very selfish, self-centered venture that she's going on to. But I feel like she's also doing it to please her brother and impress him and be like hey look how much I love you and care about you I know that you're in this hospital without me but um now I've got this object and we can do this together like we promised we would yeah yeah I mean it's it's one of the things that in a lot of ways yeah it it is a very selfish thing you know because she has been planning this and, and making all of this happen behind the scenes but she's doing it because she loves her family like her her motivation is pure even though her totally steamrolling him on this really is very much uh yeah <laughs> you know kind of a, a selfish you know sibling thing to do so but i get it i mean i have siblings i yeah. i sometimes I mean, force I've them to do stuff they don't want to do yeah yeah <laughs> i mean who who hasn't <laughs> forced their their you know younger brother to you know try to destroy an evil mirror like no no big <laughs> My brother would just, uh, he would not be on board at all. He wouldn't even show up at the house. <laughs> He's a scaredy cat. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have to choose the right one of my brothers and then th- then it would probably work out. I only have two brothers and one's 13, so he's out. Yeah, you don't want a 13-year-old mucking up the, the you know, evil mirror situation. I mean, that, that's how they started out. Was he like, tried to convince me he knows what he's doing? Yeah, no, teenagers are way too confident and also way too stupid to, to be, you know, reliable in that situation. <laughs> and I can say that with confidence because I'm a high school teacher. So, you know, oh, teenagers, they make me want to pull my hair out sometimes, but I love them. You know, who's tanned? <laughs> yeah. Um, so... There's this whole, you know, we've got to destroy the glass, um, blah, 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 blah. 
So we're we're shown um, throughout the film a lot of flashbacks, like you said, the two storylines, past and present, and we see that they're moving into their new home and their father, Alan, who's played by Rory Cochran, has purchased this mirror and their mother, Marie, is quite surprised. Um, and, you know, she's like, oh, okay, we could have got an Ikea furniture. <laughs> That's fine. Or he says something about Ikea. Um but, yeah, it shows, like, this really cool family dynamic. The kids are playing, um, what is it, laser tag together and mucking around. And it's just we see such a dramatic change in that family dynamic over the entire movie. And it's quite mm-hmm. um, it's quite a scary and sad story what happens. Oh, yeah. No, by the, by the end, it is a real bad, real dark situation. So I like that they did a very good job of, of showing us a family that isn't like perfect and idyllic in every way. Um, you know, like they have their f- faults They're you know, they're still kind of arguing with each other as they're moving in. It's not like just this, you know, dream family. It's, it's a family that feels real and authentic and, and yeah. So I feel like the characterization really works there. And, I, and I really liked the, the, the actors that they had that were the, the kids because Kids in horror movies, it's it's a yeah. toss up at best. But these two, uh, so Annalise Basso uh, is young Kaylee, and Garrett Ryan is young Tim. Like I, I believe them as siblings. I believe them as as kids who were being traumatized by this situation. Like they they really sold it to me in what and like if if they hadn't delivered the performances that they had, I think this movie would be meh at best. Like. Uh, you know, a, a solid five yeah. out of 10 maybe, but like to me, their performances made it so that uh, everything else worked. Like they were kind of a linchpin there. They were brilliant. For sure. So, but yeah, I like that. Yeah. Early on, you know, it's just, the, it's just the weird mirror in the dad's office. Like, it, you know, it's nothing more sinister than that. of like, Oh, Hey, I just got something nice. Heaven forbid I got something nice. So you know, starting out with that, yeah. <laughs> I, I like that that was kind of the initial um, way that that we we see it presented. But 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 we know that there's something wrong with it because in that other storyline, like it was hard to get, and it was you know very you know like we have it deliberately like unveiled like just before you know as this like big scary moment. Um, you know, and, and we have already had kind of like one creepy moment before this in in the adult storyline when she's getting the mirror and and we see like yeah uh, uh, an extra shape covered with a a sheet that uh wasn't there half a second before like stuff like that you know there's definitely something sinister to it and then we see it in this benign situation and that kind of makes us uncomfortable for the characters because we know that there's something sinister right yeah, absolutely. And this is probably one of the first scenes where I felt that instant feeling of dread. Now, I haven't watched this film since it came out. Um, I didn't watch it at the cinemas, but I did watch it on the DVD release. And, you know, we're looking at Kaylee's perspective and in in the reflection of the mirror, there's these objects behind her where she's, un, you know, goes and investigates and uncovers them. And one by one, you know, they're just, what what's the word, um, porcelain or ceramic um, fig- figures. And she's interrupted by another staff member. Um, and when she turns around, that third figure's gone. 
And I was just like, oh, no, nah, that's enough for me. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that was a, a very effective scare without feeling cheap. Like, yeah. in, a, in a less skilled filmmaker's hands, that would have just been a jump scare. It would have just been something pops out. She tur- and you know she jumps and then so, you know I don't know it, it 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 played with that idea of the jump scare too when like the when the person walks in and it was someone else like that kind of made us jump and then we turn around and then we jump again because the thing's gone like that was playing with jump scares in a way yeah. that was deliberate and like kind of showed us like hey I'm not just going to give you the cheap scares I'm not going to you know tickle the audience basically I'm going to actually like deliver on on stuff and and yeah i'm gonna play with your expectations and and you know play with the horror genre and what you're familiar with so and i feel like during these types of scenes and this happens often where it is incredibly effective filmmaking because we're expecting a jump scare and it doesn't happen but we still have that intense feeling of impending fright like that something is going to scare us Good old dread. <laughs> oh, this entire film. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's what I think really makes the jumping between the two storylines work as well as it does. It's because, yeah, whenever we get more information on one side, it totally recontextualizes our understanding of that other storyline. Like, every piece we learn about the mirror uh, from the adult side makes the things that are happening in the child side that much worse. And so... You know, it's like, like uh, I, I love that scene very early on. So, you know, once she has the mirror, Kaylee and Tim as adults, you know, now are, are setting things up. And she has this, you know, the, their old house all rigged up with cameras everywhere. There's lights, there's motion sensors, there's plants, there's a dog. There's all sorts of stuff like that it just seems weird and crazy and you don't know the logic behind all of it. But then she sits and she explains it in front of the camera, you know, cause that's how they're making their proof. And I love that scene. And, and I think it works so tremendously well yeah, because it, it tells us all of the things that are going to be sinister in the child storyline before it happens, but it doesn't necessarily explain why, like, like she says something about like, Oh, like what? Or, you know, he's like, why is there a dog here? And she's like, you know that it hates dogs and that's all you get. But then you, but so then as soon as you see them moving in with their family and there's a dog there, you're like, Oh, there's something bad. that's going to happen to that dog. And again, you don't know what, but you know, instantly you're just like, Oh, Oh, there's going to be so many bad things just based on the precautions that she's taking, you know, and, and, it gives us the the clues to look for that the characters themselves don't know uh, are, are signs of, of something negative happening in their house. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's dramatic irony uh, being played up in, in the best conceivable way where, you know, because we know that there's a threat and they don't, it makes the experience that much worse. Yeah. When she's um, speaking to the camera about the point of her, experiment that she's doing and she's showing all these pictures and and talking about them I got really overwhelmed and not because um you know I didn't find anything in this film really that grotesque or gruesome it was more just 
these horrific deaths, you know, that she's like, and this victim, you know, they used a hammer to break their own ribs and her arm and the police showed up and they found her before she bashed her own skull in. And I was just like, whoa, that's crazy. And like another person had, uh, oh no, later on in the film that someone had walked into oncoming traffic and it's just, we're sitting here going, all right, prove it to me that this mirror does that. I'm sold. I've bought into this. Yeah. But now I need I need to see it. Yeah, and 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 I love that the way that she's delivering all of this is so matter of fact too. Like I I really like Karen Gillan. Yeah. I think she's a, a great actress. Um and yeah, her delivery of all of that is it works so well because it's not that she is you know I don't know, mugging at the camera or something like that and, and, and telling us this stuff in, in a super dramatic way. She is just hurrying through this giant pile of information as quickly as she can so she can get to proving that it is, you know, effect, or that, that it's still active, that it's still a, a threat. Um, and so, yeah, it's just uh, yeah. this person. Uh, they died from this way, or, you know, they, they had the the glass uh, for the, for these years, this is how they died. It was horrific. Uh, next I found, uh, you know, I, I couldn't find it for 10 years, but this is, you know, the next person. And so going through it in that very matter of a fact way worked very well. Um, have you seen the, the short film that Oculus is based off of? No, no, I haven't. So um, it's called Oculus chapter three, the man with the plan. Uh, so it was, it was a short film that Mike Flanagan did. And it was going to be a whole series of stuff, and that's why it's chapter three. He, he thought he was doing a Star Wars kind of thing of like, oh, let's start in the middle, and you know, I could <laughs> fill it in other. I, I've I've seen an interview where he just kind of like laughed at himself. He's like, yeah, I was young and kind of pretentious and whatever, but um, but the the short film is basically it has one actor, you know, the mirror, and it's basically just that scene. It's it's basically just him saying like yeah so this is the glass and this is you know one person that had it and here's the next person and it's it's him delivering that kind of uh information in the same sort of way and so it's it's like 20 minutes long but i really like that scene because it takes that uh you know idea from the short film and then it like fleshes it out and you know then the whole thing gets expanded on in a huge way but i really like seeing um, how it took that idea and then it like heightened the personal stakes of, you know, by, by adding this child storyline as well. So, so it's, it's worth checking out. It's like, I don't know, on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have a look at that. That sounds really cool. The, um, the one thing that I really love is that Tim is not convinced in any way, shape or form. He's just like, Right, I've been to the psychiatric hospital. You spent your life in foster care. I can imagine that you didn't have it so great. Um, we should just smash the mirror. Yeah, it's like let's just. And so they're arguing and whatnot, and he. Oh, I was just gonna. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Yeah, I, I like that. That he is just like, look, I, I've gone through so much therapy. Like, trust me, this is all nonsense. This is nonsense. And she's like, no, it's not. It's not. He's like, maybe you need to be the one that needs to get some psychiatric care. Like, I, I like that, that, you know, he, he feels confident yeah. <laughs> um, that he has kind of gone through the process of healing and learning and, you know, changing his mindset. And so him getting dragged back in really adds a lot of tension to their dynamic. 
Yeah. And before this scene, there is another flashback where Marie is watering their plants and they're just dying. And the kids are playing in the front yard. They're playing tag again. And Kaylee looks into the window of her father's office and sees a woman like with her arms wrapped around her dad. And when she kind of takes a double take, she's just like, oh, dad's not there. But after this scene, we're in the present again. And, um, oh no, sorry. Before that, they're at dinner. And the father's kind of distracted. He's been chewing his nails. Marie makes a comment about how disgusting that habit is. And um, he chews one of his nails, like, he just breaks it from... Oh, it's so gross. Mm. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah, I I like that 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 is kind of a, a really cool way to give us a visual reminder of, like, okay, it's affected him. It's already making him get back into like a, a different sort of headspace where it's like, she's like, you haven't chewed your nails in forever. And suddenly he's chewing his nails. It's, you know, the bad habits coming back and it, and now it's yeah. worse than ever before it. I love that the mirror works like it does, like, that it like takes their own um, fears and bad habits and just like every negative part of yourself. And it just turns it up to 11 it, it makes you miserable and destroy yeah. yourself. You know, it, it will play with you as long as it can. But it's, yeah, what it's doing is it's just playing off of your misery. Like, that makes it a really scary monster. And it's weird to have a, you know, inanimate object yeah. be the, the movie monster. But I think it, re- it really works because of the way that it affects reality in that way. And I love seeing that. It's, yeah, it doesn't just make people argue or hate each other. It, it literally does, like, make them the worst versions of themselves. Yeah, because in this scene, um, Kaylee asks her dad, hey, who was the woman in the kitchen? And we kind of, uh, in the study, sorry, and we see the mother's face, like a seed has been of doubt has been planted already. Mm-hmm. And so we can see that it's, like, radius of influence is going, you know, it's slowly going out into other members of the family like they um and that's what I was saying like we see this dynamic of the family just disintegrate over time and that was really horrifying because anything that where children get hurt or children are threatened like that automatically makes me feel intensely um scared straight away yeah and and I like that it, it doesn't necessarily have to tell us, you know, that much about their past. Like they, they feel like characters that, that have existed for a long time, that they know each other, they know each other's foibles. And so, yeah, seeing another woman, the fact that, you know, you see that, that doubt on the, on the mother's face to me, that, that says like, Hey, maybe he has cheated or has at least almost cheated or something like that. Like that, that there may have been infidelity. Like to me, you know, that instantly, is playing on a on a deep seated fear that she already had, and it just again elevated it. It, it just yeah. brought it to the surface in in a really interesting way. So, I like that. Yeah, it's it's not just planting new ideas. It 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 already has. It already sees their their darkest sides of themselves, and just plays with those. Ugh, that's so creepy. <laughs> um, so Tim is saying, let's smash this mirror. And Kaylee says, um, do you remember trying to do that? 
So we and we don't see what's going on. Um, and she's saying, you know, this mirror has defenses, like it defends itself from being potentially broken or from threats and, and explains to Tim that the one person in history who tried to smash it ended up just stopping before he swung at the mirror, walking out of the house and into oncoming traffic. And Tim says to Kaylee, you need to break your delusions. Like you're the one that needs to do this. Mm -hmm. And then we're back in the past. We're in Alan's office. and he's typing away at his computer and he takes a band-aid off his finger to find that it and he yeah he unwraps it he puts it on the table on the desk next to him and then he looks back at his finger and it's back on his finger and so he's like what what is going on here um and he kind of is trying to yank it off and it's stuck and then and then he gets a staple remover and yanks the band-aid, the fingernail, everything all off. And I hadn't watched this film in so long and I literally dry heaved watching this. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, <laughs> straight away. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is because like I, I, I can usually take some pretty intense, like brutal stuff, but something about, yeah, that staple to the, to, to write underneath where the fingernail should be just, oh, it got to me too. Oh, it, even still, I'm, I'm kind of reeling just thinking about that part, which says how effective that scene was. <laughs> it's just anything with fingernails. Um, have you seen Martyrs? No, it's, it's been like at the top of my list for so long and it just keeps not happening for some reason. Probably because oh. I have a four-year-old running around my house, and so that's probably not a... <laughs> there's um a scene where there's, like, bamboo under a fingernail, and I literally... I just turned the movie off. I'm done. I'm done. Mm, anything with fingernails. No thanks. Or toenails. Ugh. Uh, just fingernails to me. I think because I've bent my fingernails before, because I've had acrylic nails... And because I know the pain of getting them caught on things, I can only imagine how painful it is to completely have it torn off your hand. It's not good. Ugh. Ooh, hachi machi. Ugh. <laughs> <Don't>... oh. <coughs> no thanks. Um, also in this scene, um, Alan has... He's kind of starting to experience other um, supernatural things and notices that there's been some books piled like near near the mirror and calls the kids in and basically says, you're not allowed in this office anymore. No more. Go and do something else. Stop mucking around in here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I I like that, that we get to see him kind of like, this is the first time that we see him be a, an authoritarian but like he even then like he, he definitely is starting to kind of cross the line like like the, the i like that he he's so intense in that scene uh and that like you can see that the kids are are shocked at how intense he's being he's like it there's books and it wasn't even us and yeah he just like loses mm. it and and so that's where we also see yeah yeah he's probably like a, a fairly strict dad but again it, it's him losing control of his normal you know personality himself like yeah his his worst flaws are coming through again 
Yeah, the kids do seem kind of really surprised at how he's interacting with them or speaking to them. And and Kaylee is defiant through this entire film. And like you said about the children, if it wasn't for these actors, these these kids, you wouldn't have been as sold on the film because they do such a great job of being typical kids. And they're automatically brought in that it's the mirror doing this to their family. They're like, it's that mirror. There's something going on here. Dad's not himself. Mum's not herself. We need to do something about it. Yeah. And if I had any critiques of the film, I would say that them realizing it was the mirror as fast as they did is a little bit of a problem. It it felt like they just kind of conveniently jumped to that conclusion without, I don't know, just a little sooner than I would want them to. But to be fair, like we as an audience already know that it's evil from the beginning. And so you kind of have to get to that point pretty quickly to, to get the action moving along. I would have moved it, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes later in the movie, but whatever. I'm not Mike Flanagan. In, um, where are we? So we're back in the present. And what I really love is the irony that they're filming all of this in their dad's office, where as kids, they were explicitly told not to be in there. Mm -hmm. And, Kaylee is telling Tim that the mirror feeds off forces of living things, plants, animals, and Kaylee puts her dog, who she has so namely named Dog, uh, in its cage in front of the mirror. And while this is all happening, Tim is providing these incredibly rational explanations for why things happened in their home. You know, um, plants were dying because, you know, poor water quality, possibly. And we're taken back to the past and we see their dog Mason laying in their front yard. Um, And the kids, uh, you know, get up and fetch the ball, Mason, come and play, come run around. And yeah, it's just, we can start seeing things that Kaylee is saying in the present happening that did happen in their past. Mm -hmm. And and I like that, that with Mason, he just ultimately disappears. Like he's just a, like they they don't even know. It just, it, it got him. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, and, and I like that. that. That too is kind of playing off of existing horror tropes. Like it's it's very conventional to see a dog get killed because it gets a big reaction from the audience. But in this case, the dog we see it sick, we see it being affected, and then we just see it no more. It it just they he's lost now. He's gone. But the same thing happens with dog. The dog yeah. named dog. It just it's just gone. <laughs> In um in their past, the kids uh something happens and Marie is bitten by Mason and then the next day, um he is she calls him a wrecking ball basically and locks him in the office and the kids sit out the outside of the office doors until their dad gets home and explains that Mason's been grounded mm-hmm. and um they just never see him again. Yeah, and 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 I like that they but but. Of course, the children are, are questioning this, but I, I love that, that, you know, as they're questioning, as they're trying to figure out what the whole deal is there, um, you know, this is a, a period of time where things are, are changing with the dynamic with the parents in such a big way that, like, that's that's the furthest thing from their parents' minds. And so they're like, hey, what? where's the dog? Is he at the vet? What's going on? And, oh, no, mom's sick. We have to focus on that, which is when things start getting real bad for those kids. Yeah, because there is a scene where Alan and Marie are arguing and the kids 
come downstairs to see what happens. And this is kind of where that pivot point happens with the parents' relationship. And you can see by Kaylee's face when she does wake up from the argument that it's obviously something she is not used to hearing. And when Marie puts her back into bed, she asks, you know, is it because I saw the woman in the office? I I, I love that, you know, that is the thing that's still hanging over them. And I also love that that we, and, and this is, sorry, just taking a, a brief aside, but I, I just remembered that there's also like a scene uh, a little bit earlier where, uh, you know, their mother is, is, you know, standing in front of the mirror and we can see like some scars, um, stuff like that. And, and so we can kind of see like a lot of her vulnerabilities. And so again, you know, yeah, even if, if he's never cheated on her, maybe she feels like, Hey, I, I'm ugly now. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, not, not worthy of the love. And so, and, and the fact that she's looking in that mirror when she, when she, uh, is looking at those scars on herself makes it so yeah that vulnerability is already kind of already in our minds and so yeah when when her daughter asks yeah. her that question like we we know maybe more of of why her mother might be feeling so raw and uncomfortable with her husband when you know the daughter doesn't yeah absolutely and there is a scene where um marie does speak to alan about the the dog or the kids or something and he's leaving and he calls her a heinous cow and she turns around and was says to him what did you say and he does look surprised like i didn't say anything and that's when she does look at herself in the mirror and it's kind of like this distorted view of herself it's not her it's how maybe she perceives herself in that moment of vulnerability and uh insecurity yeah but that she sees herself as this cow yeah what a horrible thing. Yeah. and I mean, I get it. <laughs> I think I think we've all, all been there to, to some degree of, of, yeah, feeling like we're lesser or undesirable in some way. And so, yeah, to see it when you're feeling most vulnerable and then you think that you just, yeah, hear your husband call you something like that. And then you see what you think he sees in you. Yeah, that's that's horrifying. It's so sad. Um, during So after this fight scene in the flashback, we go back to the present and Tim is once again providing all these alternative and completely rational explanations for everything that they experienced as kids. Maybe dad, dad was a cheater. Maybe they had a terrible marriage. Dad had an affair. Um, and Tim gets really frustrated because Kaylee says, you know, while you were in the psychiatric hospital, I, I'm the one that went through everything. I found no evidence of an affair. I found nothing. I was the one that went through everything. I've done 11 years of, of research. And um, during this time, he also lets the dog out of the cage and out of the house and the dog just runs off and we never see it again. And Tim says to Kaylee, the only thing dangerous here to the dog is you. Which I think is, is one of the, the coolest ways that, that we can either see, you know, I, I like that at that moment as an audience, we can say, yeah, maybe this is all in our head. And that, that, you know, the thing that we're being shown in the past is just uh, her perception of reality, or this is the mirror working on them. Now they are seeing each other as monsters. It's, it's making them turn on each other. And I love 
love that. It, it, it just shows us how it works in such a clear, yeah. like, you can point to it moment. Yeah, it's really cool because this is the scene where Tim is kind of semi on board with everything that's going happen- going on. Because Kaylee says, stuff it, I'll pack everything up, we'll go. Don't worry about it anymore. And when she goes into the office, she finds that the cameras are facing one another and there's things moved around. And when she plays back the video that she has taped, she finds that they're the ones that have been moving these cameras around and they have no recu- no recollection whatsoever of them doing it. And I thought that was just a really cool scene that we see the response from them being so uncomfortable and uneasy because they have no memory of it. Yeah. And, and that, I think, there shows how, how powerful the mirror is and also how, you know... We get to see its modus operandi. It it doesn't it doesn't do stuff to to people. It makes people do stuff to each other. It's you know again it it makes people into the worst versions of themselves, and then it watches what happens. Yeah, it's just like a little troll kind of thing. But in all, trying to protect itself, really, it's just self pres it's just self preservation. Mm-hmm. That that just I don't so it can what it needs it. It just needs misery. That's what it needs. That, that's that's that, that's what keeps it full. And then once it has a nice meal, it can you know just needs to stay alive for a, a while. Show up into some other estate cell. So crazy, so crazy. Um, this scene in we're we're back in the past again on the other timeline, and this scene just absolutely creeped me out. And it is beautifully shot as well. And this is where Marie is standing in front of the mirror with the vacuum cleaner going and she's just swaying in front of the mirror and Kaylee finds her and it's just such a scene where Mike Flanagan just shines. Absolutely, like, any movie that this type of scene is in that's done by Mike Flanagan would probably be my favourite in the film. Yeah, yeah, because it, it shows just how disconnected from reality these parents are starting to become, you know, that, that, yeah, Marie is just, she, she has no idea that she's doing it. It, it, which again, like that mirrors the, the actions of, of the adults, the adult children, because yeah, they also had no idea that they were doing something, you know, they just think that they're doing something else. And, and it, it has created this version of reality uh, that doesn't match up with reality. Yeah. It's really creepy. I don't like it. <laughs> but I love it. It's, yeah, it's a weird dichotomy for me. Um, at dinner that night, it's just Marie and the kids, and Alan's not home, but Marie makes a comment about knowing where he said he is, but doesn't know where he actually is. And I feel like that is a spiteful comment from an experience she's already had with him. Like, it's not just something she's saying out of nowhere. It's built from an experience that she has had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's seeing that that mistrust bubbling to the surface. And they probably have worked through something like this before uh, and have come out stronger on the other side, but now it's back and now it's, you know, any, any old wound between them is fresh again. It stings again. And so, yeah, 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 she knows just the the right, spiteful, passive-aggressive thing to say about it. Yeah, 
and she asks the kids about the uh, woman in the office and Kaylee blatantly lies and says, well, I haven't seen her. And obviously she's protecting her mum. But Tim says that he actually saw her the night before and she was out in on the stairway and then went back into the office and he basically wraps up what he said says with, I think she lives in there. So he's kind of given that impression that he knows what's going on in that office. And I love that that moment because that that's the first time that we get to see Tim as the one who is understanding what's going on with this mirror, you know, in either timeline, you know, and, and so it helps us kind of realize that like he really was very involved. He was aware of everything that was going on. You know, we for a lot of the film up until this point, Kaylee is is the mover and shaker in both timelines. Yeah. But then we get to see, oh, no, he he knows things that progresses the plot that, that really, you know, reveals a lot of this mystery to them, um, to them both. And so, you know, he, he knows a lot more than he claims he knows. And even though he has put the aside as, as deranged fantasies as, as an adult, he still remembers. Yeah. And I think that's all Kaylee needed in, in her adulthood was, this confirmation from her brother that he saw it all as well. She's not crazy um, that he experienced it too, but obviously he managed to go to a psychiatric hospital and it was all boiled down to delusional uh, experiences that he was having. Um, Marie goes into the office and finds a piece of paper with Marisol scribbled all over it. And she's absolutely heartbroken and um, she's looking in the mirror and she sees a reflection of herself with this really grimacing smile and she unbuttons her dress to find slash reveal that her C-section has started to reopen. Yeah. Um, which is just brutal. I can't imagine how terrifying that would be. Yeah, yeah. That, that we now see the scar better and now it's alive again. It's It's open. It's festering it's oh but uh she starts screaming and the kids run into the office and this terrified me because i was not expecting it at all and marie turns around and in a rage tries to strangle tim and they get away and they're running away and they lock themselves in their room absolutely terrified and it's like she is completely um mindless because she's just banging on their door she's not vocal um she's not even really moving human-like and um yeah the kids are obviously terrified and alan comes home and puts her in a chokehold which i was just like wow and he was a little bit too ready with that as a move (laughs) um isn't he a um a software developer how does he know how to do that to people Uh, tv right just you know we we learn those skills from tv (laughs) Chuck Norris on TV. Yeah. <laughs> sleep, sleep. <laughs> I was just like, wow, he's got some skills. <laughs> um, and when Marie passes out, the dad drags her into their bedroom and returns with chains in his hands, which is quite ominous, quite um, scary. Yeah. So I, I love that, that we expect something very sinister there. Um, and, and, but I like that he's actually doing it to try to protect her and protect the kids. Um, 
and we don't understand just how bad it is until the the climax of the film yeah but but yeah like we we already think oh crap he's chained her to the bed or you know she's she's a prisoner and and that's bad but the fact that the reveal is that much worse in a little bit is just oh so good so good for horror yeah it's it is fantastic and i think that it was written so impeccably to be able to feed you these small parts of information to still keep you incredibly interested in the story and the characters without giving it away in a really crappy climax mm. like there was no i saw that coming at all um and then there's like a, a couple of scenes in between this but one of the really important scenes that I found really interesting was a past flashback where Alan's telling their kids that he's telling the kids that their mother is sick. And he says that we want you to leave her alone. And the kids respond with who's we, why would you say that? So they, they know what's going on. Yeah. You know, they, they pick up on, on a lot of details, which is very satisfying to see that, you know, that, that line doesn't just fly past them. Like it would in a lot of movies. Yeah, most kids would be like, all right, Dad, sweet. Cool, pizza tonight? I'll play video games. Yeah, so pizza, pasta, garlic bread, let's do it. Um, So earlier in the film, Kaylee has set like a whole bunch of alarms to remind them to eat and to drink and to change this uh, timer on a spring-loaded contraption that she's got. Um, What is it called? The the kill switch. Yeah. To the mirror. Yeah. and so when the alarm goes off, they're eating and one of the kitchen light bulbs keep um, fizzing out. So she goes out to replace it. And after she replaces it, she picks back up her apple. When she takes a bite, all we hear is the shattering of a light globe. And blood is coming out of her mouth. Um, she's like gagging to choke up. Um, like something and she pulls out this massive shard of glass from her mouth but when Tim comes back into the room it's just her apple and so we're we're fed these bits of um, something supernatural is causing these hallucinations or delusions or or whatever they are um, to scare their victims well the victims of the mirror Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's, it's really trying hard to just get them to back off. Yeah, like, get out of here. Um, uh, we're back, at, and this is kind of where it kicks off that there's this really big, quick interchange between past and present because we're we're leading up to the, the climax at this point. And we're back in the past, and their electricity has gone out. The TV, well, sorry, the TV's just static. Uh, there's no food. Um, Kaylee, who's just completely so... Um, She's very independent, very headstrong, very just says it how it is. Goes in. She like storms into her dad's office and is like, there's no food. And he's like, hey, princess, it's on my list. And he's just staring into the mirror. It's on my list. And it's on my list. I'll do it. And they're just like, no, dad, that's not going to fly with me. So I'm going to go. I'm telling mom because you're acting like a total jerk and I'm not dealing with that anymore I'm hungry and um she goes upstairs to their parents bedroom where their mother is and I love this scene because this is one of the jump scares I think was put to be that 
cliche jump scare, but it was still really good. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, because Kaylee's looking for her mum and she goes around a corner of the bed and the mum lunges at her and it scared the hell out of me, I'll tell you what. Well, and what I love <laughs> about that is that, that our expectation in that scene is she's going to be chained up and miserable and she's like a prisoner or something. But instead, she is a wild animal who has, like, destroyed her teeth, destroyed her nails. Like, she yeah. she is rabid. And and so, yeah, the, the jump scare works very effectively there. And then, and then the, the reality of just how bad she is and how gone she is in that moment is that much worse. Yeah, because she does look really... Um... She does look like what a person who is possessed would look like. Her her skin is grey and pale. Her eyes are very dilated. Um, her skin is very uh, scratched and scabby, and un- she looks incredibly unkept. Well, and 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 yeah, and it's only been a matter of hours. Or I mean, I think at this point it's probably been about a week. Yeah. And and but yeah, like, but but uh, there's there's also you know damage to the teeth. There's damage to the nails. There's like, there's a lot of damage there other than just her being, you know, gray and very sickly looking as well. She just is shocking. Yeah, that that's definitely like one of those, like your heart sinks moments in, in such a powerful way. Yeah. Um, what I really like about this scene is that we kind of see a time loop of the children in the house with adult Tim and Kaylee. And so we have the kids going upstairs Um there's Tim going into the dad's office to tell him that all the lights are broken. And this is where he sees um, the woman um, hunched behind Alan. Marisol. And she like appears at the door and terrifies young Marisol. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm not too sure about this scene, because this might've just gone completely over my head, but I think adult Tim is watching this happen as if it's, something he remembers yeah that's definitely how it's shot and and so yeah I, I that's how i interpret it is that he is letting himself really go there in his mind again finally he's he's really engaging with the memories and um and so yeah we're showing it as though he is watching himself go through the experience like third person which is a really cool effect film wise yeah i liked it and at this point, um, Kaylee is downstairs and she finds a plate that is... I hate this scene because it's so sad. Um, so she is... Oh, excuse me. She's looking at the ground through her phone because she's trying to determine what's real, what's not. There's broken glass and a plate on the ground. Um, and I love that when she turns around that her mother is just, like, standing right there in front of her. Um, and she has this beautiful long hair and it's almost as if what she should have looked like if she was still alive. Yeah, it's, it's definitely before it's, it's like, a her, her mom at at the start of the film after going through like a makeover, (laughs) like it's, it's like a, a, an idealized (laughs) perfect version of her mom, like the, you know, an angelic version of her mom. Yeah. Except um, Kaylee's reaction is to scream and stab her mother in the neck with a piece of glass that she's picked up. Or is it her mother? 
Well, do you want to reveal the twist in that? Yeah, uh, so it turns out that this is actually her fiancé, who is a character we have not mentioned at all. Um, oh, because he plays such a little part until now. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, it's, it's her fiancé. He was coming to check up on them because like, he's been calling, um, you know, he, he's been asked to call and... and you know, check in with her periodically as part of the precautions that she has set. And so uh, she didn't answer for a while, so he came to check it out. And so, yeah, she stabs him in the neck and he dies. Um, um, yeah. And and Sad. It, I think it, it, it makes a great moment, though. Again, if, if I were to change anything about the film, it might actually be this, this moment or kind of how that plays out, just because... Yeah, I wasn't that invested in him as a character, and so I didn't. Me too. Yeah, I, I wish that that it was a even stronger moment because, like, you, you feel bad for her, but you don't like really mourn the death of that character very much. It's just a shock, uh, and then you move on because, hey, oh, the threat's real yeah. now. Um, and so, yeah, I wish that that we could care about that character a little bit more, just if there had been a little bit more build up with him as a person, but. Eh, whatever. Yeah. You, you have 90 minutes to make a movie sometimes, and, you know. That's what you do with it. That's fine. I mean, it was only two minutes. It could have come out of the movie, and it wouldn't have made a difference to me. Yeah, yeah, because at that point, everything is so intense anyway that it isn't the... That isn't the, the moment that, that really has us on pins and needles, so... Yeah, exactly. And after this happens, they're obviously both freaking out because Kaylee thought it was a trick... And then when she looks through the phone, sees that it's actually her fiancé. So they're panicking. They're outside. All the lights come on in the house and they see themselves back inside the room with the mirror, which is obviously, you know, a trick that this mirror is playing on them. Um, to baby, to babically, basically maybe them doubt their own reality and if they are actually there in that time or are they actually inside? Are they experiencing something real? Where are they? And Tim calls the police and asks for help. Nothing. Ha- um, they're talking about the mirror and stuff. And she says, you know, call again. And the response that they get is, uh, you're going to have to get your father to call. Which is what the doctor says to them um, after they see the turmoil that their mother is in. So they call the doctor when they're kids. And the doctor says to them, you're going to have to get your dad to call. And it's just so... Like, quick, quick, quick from this moment on. Mm-hmm. Because this is where we're finding out what happened in the past and we're seeing what's happening in the present as well. So in the past, Alan's in his office. He's leaning on the mirror and he sits back in his desk and he pulls out a gun, which Marie had absolute disdain for, and he begins loading it. Um, Tim's watching, but he runs upstairs to tell Kaylee what's going on and they both agree that they're going to have to smash the mirror. Um... Then we're back in the present (laughs) and uh, Tim and Kaylee enter the room um, and they can still see themselves standing in front of this mirror, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And just back and forth, back and forth, trying to break the mirror. It's not working out very well. They're just hitting the walls. Yeah. What I really liked in the scene in the present though, when they were standing, when they saw themselves standing there is that they also saw a woman standing there who was speaking in their father's voice. And I was like, Oh, well that's just creepy. I want out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of creepy imagery. We, we start to see the, the ghosts of everything that, that the, the lesser glasses killed start to kind of emerge throughout these scenes in both uh, versions. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I liked the past scenes more than I liked the present scenes in this part of the film. I agree. It's definitely like the yeah. the really most emotionally effective sections, I would say. Because it does take a real big turn that we weren't expecting at all. Um in the past, um their mother is eating a plate, which I'm guessing that was just what she liked to eat at the time. And that's obviously how her teeth all Got fell out. And we see the teeth falling out and the blood follow. And it's just, it is actually really effective. It's super impactful. Um, all of us can relate to being absolutely terrified of our teeth coming out. We've all had the dreams. Mm-hmm. That dream. <laughs> that dream, Yeah. Uh, Alan enters the room with a gun and um, Marie tries to grab him, but he puts the gun underneath her chin and um, uh, and she she starts to stand up. Now, like I said, the present scenes are quite um, quite weak in this part compared to the how impactful the past scenes are. I think it's just because there's there's yeah there's there's not as many players here now. It, it's just two people and the, the mirror and, you know, what the mirror is doing to threaten them. And so, yeah, like, it doesn't feel like the threat is nearly as bad for them. Like, it's still bad. We're, we're still concerned, of course. Yeah. Because phone calls aren't going through the right way. They're, you know, being threatened by being in front of the mirror and potentially, you know, having the, the fun pointy weight come down and smash them. Like... There's a there's a threat there still for sure, yeah, but absolutely. but it doesn't feel as intense as hey dad's gonna blow mom's brains out and then blow our brains out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because at this point I'm just like, is Alan planning to kill her to protect his kids, or is he doing it under the influence of the mirror? Like they're both completely under the influence of the mirror's power at this point. How I interpret that scene is that he. It, it's probably that it, it's it's playing off whatever uh, motivation will work best to do each action. So it, it would probably be that he has to protect his kids from the mirror, and then he has to protect the mirror from his kids, and so he has to kill them, and then and then it, it would probably then release him from a spell, and then he sees what he's done, and then he would kill himself because that's how it works. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um. The, the mother's chasing them through the house and then they eventually end up in, Marie ends up in front of the mirror and the ghosts all grab her mum. So the dad doesn't kill the mother. Like the ghosts of the lesser glass kill her. And um, yeah, that scene I did not like, uh, only because it creeped me out. <laughs> and, and it does break the logic a little bit is I think a shame yeah. because, you know, up until this point, yeah, they're killing each other. They're, all of the destruction that happens is just really to each, uh, you know, one to each other. And so, yeah, I, I don't love that the ghosts are the thing that kill her um, because it, it seems like it, it, the, the glass has this extra power that it can just pull out whenever it's convenient. It, it felt a little de- yeah. deus ex machina, but whatever the uh, yeah maniacal version of that would be. Um <laughs> But even still, though, it worked real well. It was a great visual. It was real creepy. Yeah, it was creepy. But it also was like, well, where were all these ghosts for the rest of, like, for the other hour and ten minutes of this movie? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and obviously the kids try to smash the glass. It doesn't happen. They realize they're only smashing into the wall. Um, and then their dad comes in with the gun and points it at Kaylee. And Tim absolutely belts him with the golf club, which I loved because I was like, yes, Tim, you've been so quiet this whole film. Yeah, yeah. When that, hap- uh, when that moment happened, so I, I saw this opening day in theaters because I just saw the trailer and I was like, oh, I'm Oh, Karen. wow. Um, and when that happened, everyone like cheered. It was, it was good. <laughs> it worked real well. That's so cool. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, and Tim grabs a gun from his dad and he's yelling at him and Alan kneels in front of Tim, puts a gun, like points it at him and he pulls the trigger, which is super heavy. Yep. You you now definitely can see why he's in a psychiatric hospital and needs some real strong help after all that. Yeah. And the thing is that what, what I find really funny is that at the start of the film, Tim explains to his doctor what is happening in his dream that he pulled the trigger. And the doctor's like, oh, well, now you're taking some accountability. And it's just like, um, excuse me, Tim didn't pull the trigger. Though, I mean... What accountability does he have? I mean, I, I, I can see that, you know, probably what it's getting at is that they definitely believe that he killed him out of self-defense and then he kind of created this schema in his head, this whole invented thing that, you know, not only was all of this the mirror's fault but also that his dad actually killed himself and all that and and that you know is in fact what happened but yeah like yeah admittedly yeah a a medical health professional would probably say it's much more likely that you pulled the trigger and so you coming to grips with that would be more helpful you know that that was probably the last piece that that he had to come to grips with for reality even though again we know what's happening as the audience even though a mental health professional would think that that was all cuckoo bananas. Yeah, they would definitely say it's delusional. Um, no doubt about it. <laughs> as they should. Uh, as they should. Um, so, um, oh, this scene, oh, it gets me every time. Because Kaylee has been the absolute driver of this entire experiment trying to clear and prove to everybody that her brother and her dad are not murderers and so we have a scene where we're seeing a young Kaylee in the office and she sees her mother in the mirror and walks towards her and um you know is holding her arms out to hug her and um uh Tim sets off the kill switch because he actually doesn't see Kaylee in front of the mirror mm-hmm. and absolutely impales Kaylee um, with the contraption that she has set up. But the mirror's uh, fine. Impaling her on the mirror. I know that annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> and then it turns out the cops did actually get that call. It was unclear, but they're there now. They haul him off and presumably think that he murdered both of them both uh, Kaylee yeah. and her fiance yeah which is really sad and now he's going back to that hospital <laughs> yeah. as an actual murderer though because he definitely did kill his sister not on purpose but he definitely did he pulled the kill switch uh, manslaughter but yeah well yeah yeah culpable homicide <laughs> yeah yeah there we go his actions led to the death of Kaylee <laughs> so that is oculus what would you rate that out of five in your personal opinion <sighs> Like, 
I know that it isn't a perfect movie, but like in terms of how much I love it and how much I am there for every story beat, five out of five. Like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I love this movie. <laughs> Admittedly, maybe more than it deserves, but like after seeing this movie with my friends, like we stayed up until like three in the morning talking about how much we liked it and like wow. picking it apart. And then just whenever we would, and, and of course we were all tired and loopy by this point. And so we were just like, <laughs> you know, maybe we're all standing in front of the mirror right now. And that's become a, a like a thing that we can just like <laughs> randomly throw into a conversation for years after now. And, and it's still like, we all just go like, Oh, that movie. So I don't know. It, it works. The, I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the thing, the fact that it released in 2013, it still holds up. Yeah. Um, it's like a lot of supernatural horror doesn't, but that definitely holds up for me. And I remember watching it the first, I think I watched it with my grandma the first time. Um, and I wasn't really into knowing anything about directors and producers. And now that I, I am aware of Mike Flanagan, I'm just give me everything Mike Flanagan I will watch it I'm probably going to watch Ouija although I've got a few other things on my plate to watch for this week so I don't know just yet it's well so yeah just make sure you don't watch the one that he didn't direct the first Ouija movie is just un, untenably bad um this one <laughs> is way better than it has any right to be but it's still not a good movie uh, oh no <laughs> it just suffers from being sequel to a real bad movie but but he makes it like a hundred times better than the first one so you know i'm borderline sold (laughs) if you're a flanagan fan it's worth a watch you see like so many people that he uses in other things uh, because you know he uses the same actors over and over which is it's fine he's married to one of them it's cool Oh really? Yeah, uh, the the actress who played Marisol uh, in this, the you know the creepy mirror lady, oh. is um, Kate Siegel, uh, and she is in all of his movies except for Doctor Sleep. So, oh, no yeah, she's the main character in Hush. She is Theo in Hill House. She's the lady in the lake in uh, Blind Manor. She's in everything. I learn something new every day. Yeah. Wow. The more you know. <laughs> yeah. Now I'll just, that'll be my fun fact for the week to tell everybody. Yeah, that, that Mike Flanagan's wife is in all of his stuff. All these movies. And she's really good. She is. I really like her as CEO in Hill House. Yeah, that, that would be her, her best cool. performance by far, in, in my opinion. But Yeah. Um, so the question that I ask every guest that I have on, what is the last horror movie that you watched? The last horror movie I watched was His House. Oh, I want to watch that. It's real good. It's really good. That's It's going to be the next episode of uh, Scream Kings, uh, because... Oh, excellent. I'll have to watch it first. Yes, definitely watch it. Uh, there's some <laughs> big twists that should not be spoiled. It's very good. I really, really liked it. It's it, it it very much impressed me, especially knowing that it's like that uh, director's first movie and all that. It it's superb. Wow! Yeah, it's been on my uh, list to watch for. Um, I have like a pledge list that I do. I did one last year. I've got thirty five movies on this year's list. I lied to someone last week and said I'd watched five movies on the list. I've only watched two. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a liar. 
So I'll just cover that for everybody. I've only done two. <laughs> um, but his house is definitely on there. And so is um, Host, because I'm too scared to watch that. <laughs> Host isn't like unbearably terrifying. It's just really good execution on the idea. I like Host a lot. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what they did with the whole concept. And um, I've listened to a few podcasts with Jed on the show and have really enjoyed what he's discussed about his experiences with it. So um, I'm just, apparently the end scene is really scary. So, <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> I, I would give it like a seven out of 10 in terms of scares. Like it's an intense scene. I liked it a lot, but as a whole, like I felt like that movie was comparable to, the ring in terms of how scary it is. Oh, okay. I love the ring. So that works well for me. Like super great movie. I love found footage and doing a zoom movie during the pandemic is just my, my jam, but genius. Yeah. It it worked super well, but it just wasn't the most terrifying thing I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination. That makes me feel a lot better. Good. Honestly. (laughs) After this, I'm actually going to watch a, I think it's South Korean. I always get North Korean, South Korean mixed up um, in relation to film. Well, um, well, North Korea makes propaganda film and that's about it. So Okay, well then, so it's South Korean. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the Wailing, it's on Netflix. That is a real cool movie. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's a slow burn, but... There's some real cool stuff about it. That's actually going to be something we're also very soon going to cover on Scream Kings because we want to do a thing that talks about like exorcism rituals in like different cultures and different religions and stuff. So we're not just seeing, you know, not just talking about Catholic exorcism because there is a like traditional South Korean exorcism ritual in that movie that is super cool. Wow. Now I'm even more excited about it because I I really like um, the occult and not that I'm personally subscribe to that stuff or those beliefs but just reading about them is incredibly interesting and finding death rituals around the world is really interesting for me as well i don't i have a morbid fascination with those things oh well you know me me too you're, you're talking to to your people here so ah <laughs> oh, there's so many of us <laughs> yeah we're great we're an odd bunch i love it also um what are some films you're really looking forward to to seeing this year um i really want to see saint maud Saint Maud looks, oh, looks really good, and I know that like the UK got it last year, and I'm mad at the entire country for that. Because um, <laughs> I it, it was supposed to come out like on or like right next to my birthday, and I was like, that's gonna be what I'm gonna make everyone go to, and that did not happen. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to Candyman. I think Candyman's gonna be amazing. Yeah. I love the way that it's taking the idea of the original and then playing with gentrification. So that's awesome. Um, those are probably the big two right now, but I mean, the, the the real answer is every single horror movie, even if it looks like a, a garbage movie, because, you know, usually even the worst horror movies are going to be as entertaining, if not more entertaining than a lot of the best of other genres. So Very true. I've actually completely skipped comedy the last 12 months because I just don't find things funny anymore. You just, have, you just have to do the dark comedies and then you'll be good. That's me. Yeah. I'll just watch, um, well, what, Four Weddings and a Funeral or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just that on loop. 
Yeah, or for me, I just just have those go-to like horror comedies, like uh, what we do in the shadows. I can just watch like every three days. And yeah, <laughs> they're brilliant. Those are uh, those actors and those writers of that show. They're so funny. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, so you can find me mostly on Twitter at uh, NJDarkish. Uh, I'm I'm around other places, but pretty much if you want to interact with me in a meaningful way, that's what where you'll find me. But yeah, I mean, I uh, of course then there's the the Scream Kings podcast uh, as well. So definitely, please everyone check that out if if you're a fan of what I had to say because th- this is the kind of discussion that we have on Scream Kings pretty <laughs> often. Plus, you know, just a little bit more with uh, books and the occult and that kind of stuff too. We we maybe have. Uh, tried to summon demons on the podcast before no big no big <laughs> you'll have to link me directly to that episode uh it's episode three our evil dead episode where we talk about the necronomicon oh, perfect. Uh, as well because i talk about the lovecraft side of it and then uh there's a real necronomicon uh that uh real occultists made and uh max my co-host tried to uh, read a, or yeah, read one of the demon summoning rituals on it. So you know that was when we became possessed Check with the Zuzu, and it's just. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me this week. Yeah. Um, all of you, please don't forget to check out. Uh, Nathaniel and the Scream Kings podcast. I'm going to link all everything below. Also, don't forget that you can check out TGIF on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGIF Pod. I'm normally on Twitter, so just find me there. I'm at Catstead. If you love the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. You've been listening to TGIF. See you next Friday. <laughs>